The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Ordinarily, when we hear the words greatest and least, we tend to think in the singular. There is one greatest and there is one least. But notice how the Lord is speaking in the plural. Whoever in general who does this will be least. Whoever in general who does this will be greatest. And in speaking that way, the Lord is putting, in a sense, a category in front of believers. There is a least level and a greatest level of living. And the difference between these, the defining characteristics, is how one engages the fullness of the law that the Lord has given to his people. This is very much in harmony with the point that Moses is making as he charges Israel. You are about to go into the land that the Lord is giving to you. But so that you can receive it and take possession of it and live there, you need to do something. And again, this is surprising because normally when we hear the Lord is giving you this, automatically our minds tend to think, oh, then it's just a matter of stretching out my hand and receiving. And Moses is saying, no, it's not exactly that simple. This stretching out of the hand has elements that must be there. And what are those elements? To receive the land in a way that will allow you to truly live in it, you have to receive the law and to keep it. And the keeping of the law, the way that I have marked out for you, will be what allows you not simply to receive for a moment, but to abide in the blessing into which I am bringing you. Note the importance of that. Therefore, the one who is not attentive is the one who will be least able to dwell in the land, least able to linger there, least able to receive its fruitfulness. 
that one, however, who is attentive and faithful is that one who is greatest in his ability to settle into the land of blessing. That one who is greatest in his ability to abide there, to linger there, to truly take possession of what the Lord is giving. Note how important that is. We like to reduce it to the Lord is giving us this, great, let's take it. And Moses is saying, no, there's, a, there's an art to this, a skill to this. And as he speaks to the people, he insists, this is vital. You are on the doorstep of everything we have been moving toward these last 40 years in the desert. That great movement from slavery to freedom is reaching a certain climax. But so that you can fully enter in, do not drop the ball at the end. In the desert, you have learned a way, and you must take possession of that first and bring that with you. And note how important it is. It is important for the people, but it is also important because how the people live in the land will determine how recognizable the presence of the Lord will be to the nations around them. Know what else is involved in this? When you live according to this way that I have marked out for you, the Lord says, when you are attentive to it, careful to abide by it, when you embrace it, the nations around you will marvel at you. And they will say, what people is as wise as this one? And note the difference here. Note what is not said. When the nations around you pick up the book where all this is written and read it, they'll read the law and say, wow, this is really good stuff. No. When they see how it is lived, when they see you living and the fruitfulness of life that it brings to you, then they will know that this is the way of wisdom then they will know that this is a way that is just beyond all other worldly ways. It cannot be merely a dead written letter, but it must be a lived reality. And that lived reality will allow you to abide in the place of blessing, but in a way that the blessing you abide in becomes visible to those around you who then become curious about this way of living which produces such good fruit. It's not a matter merely of individual faithfulness, but of the people together embracing it. And it is so important, note the charge, note the permanence, and teach this to your children and even to the children of your children, the grandchildren. Note that no one generation is uniquely accountable, but all generations become accountable. 
that this is something that must be lived in a way that it is also handed on. That handing on from one generation to the next is the very definition of what we call tradition. It is not merely a matter of handing the scriptures on. It is a matter of handing on how to read them. It is a matter of handing on how to live them. It is a matter of forming those who are younger than us in the way that has been so fruitful so that they likewise can live it and they likewise can enjoy its fruitfulness. Note how marvelous that is. The words on the page, once they're written, can remain written for a long time. But the book can remain closed and unopened and unread. And what good do those words do? And so it is that it is the living of the law, not the reading of the law, that is the key. What a remarkably beautiful element that is. And within it, Moses gives the people a very important warning. He says, be careful that you don't forget what you have seen and what you have come to know. Because that is what you need to teach your children as well. You know, these are the people who saw the water gush forth from the rock. These are the generations who were rescued from Egypt. These are the ones who have seen how the Lord has guided. They are the ones who ate the manna. Note, when you go to the land, do not forget what brought you here. But don't make it merely an occasion of nostalgia, because it's part of your relationship with me, says the Lord. So you teach others what that was like. You teach others what that was like, that they might come to know me too. Because this is not merely something for your generation. This is something for the people. What an incredibly powerful statement this is. In fact, in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, one sees in a certain level what it is like when this is taken seriously. Because Daniel and his friends exiled to Babylon in the court of the king by their faithfulness to the way they were given caused the king to marvel at their wisdom and their understanding in a way that he says, almost as if he's quoting Moses, what other nation is so wise as these men are? And we see that there is something about the way that the Lord marks out for us that can never be reducible simply to a text that can be handed to someone to read. It can never be reduced to merely an instruction manual. It must be actively lived and that is the essential element for how it is truly communicated. 
It's no secret that one of the problems we face in the church around the world today is the fact that with each generation that comes up, there seem to be fewer and fewer of us embracing the faith. And this is not to criticize any one person or any one group in particular, but it is to say that lamentably, one of the things that the Christian people have often struggled with is our tendency sometimes to farm out what it is to educate in the faith, to drop our children off at the CCD program and not necessarily attend to their formation in the faith for the rest of the week, or to reduce our idea of forming our young people merely in terms of conforming to the secular values around us. And so they grow up schooled in those things, but out of contact with the greatest things. And sometimes this can be because we ourselves feel out of touch with certain elements of our faith. We wonder about whether I can explain it adequately or not. And sometimes we forget the power of formative example. That before our children are able to understand explanations, they can learn how to do things. And this is one of the elements that Moses is stressing with the people. There is no one too young to begin learning. There is no one too young to begin living according to the way. And there's a degree of understanding of the way that will only come after one has begun to live it. This is why it's one of the most beautiful things that one can see at times when, for example, someone comes into the church carrying a small child and lifts the child up to the holy water font. And sometimes even goes, has to go so far as to teach the child how to reach in and you'll see this sometimes mothers and fathers then taking the little, the child's hand and moving it in the form of a cross so that they learn how to do that. Before the child can even say the word cross, he begins to learn the movement, the water, the signing, the connection with the space that entering sacred space is different than entering any place else. And note that that doesn't require anyone to be an expert in terms of explaining it. Simply, it's a matter of knowing how to do it and sharing what is done. In no small measure, in no small measure, this is what the Lord is insisting on in this reading from Deuteronomy, that attentiveness to passing on what we've been given is less about explaining things and more about doing them, living them, and teaching others not how to go through the motions, but to learn the basics of the living, so that later when the explanations come, they're grounded in something. And it's out of this then that the Lord begins to speak. And the Lord, again, now looking at his disciples, recasts it a bit because he needs to correct a misunderstanding about him. 
the Lord comes and he begins to engage some of these ancient realities in a new way. He relativizes the importance of certain things. And all of a sudden there becomes the fear that Jesus is doing away with what we've had. And there's even a certain enthusiasm among some who never really liked it the way it was that, good, it's about time we got rid of that. And so the Lord pauses and says, wait a second. If you think I've come, to get rid of it, you don't know me, and you don't know what I'm about. And you don't understand God if that's what you think. Because then you're basically saying, the Lord who gave us all of this law is now saying, okay, I've changed my mind, let's do something different now. And that is just not how the Almighty works. The Lord doesn't change his mind. Rather, everything that has come before me, Jesus says, has such great value that I have come to bring it to its completion. I haven't come to get rid of it. But note, if I am coming to fulfill it, it means I am going to do something different with it because it hasn't been fulfilled until now. And so now there is a new element to the law, a new element to the way, because everything in it is at the service of the Son of God coming into the world. Until he comes into the world, there are elements of it, aspects of it that will not be recognizable. But now that the Lord is here, how it is lived does change, not because it was bad, but because now its completeness is before us. And note, I have not come to set aside even the smallest part of it as having no value. Rather, I have come to bring fulfillment into all of it, its great movements and its small movements, its obviously majestic elements and its small, often hidden details. Everything about it is fulfilled by me and in me. And in saying that, then note what he is now saying. If you would know now how to really live according to the law, you don't look at Moses. You look at me. Through Moses, the Lord gave the law but through me, the fullness of what Moses gave is available to you, a fullness Moses did not have. Note how wonderful that is. Note how important that is. And note how clear that is, because what do we do there? We have to look at a person and see how he lives. We have to look at a person and let this person teach us what it is to fulfill the law. And so now the Lord is saying, just as you were commanded to pass this on to your children and your children's children, and you yourselves had to learn it from those who handed it on to you, now you all look to me.
because I am the one who spoke the law in the first place. I spoke through Moses, but now I am here. Note the difference. And note the marvelous opportunity, because now there's a way of receiving the law with a depth and an intensity and a clarity that wasn't there before. And it is a matter not of replacing things, but of completing everything. And that completion will involve a certain newness, because in Christ all things are made new, including the old law. This is why, then, the Lord is saying that one who is going to say, none of that's important or these things aren't important, you can ignore them because I'm ignoring them, misses the point and will not, however proud of his freedom he is, be considered great in the kingdom at all. In fact, he will be considered among the least, among the lowest, among the least significant. But that one, that one who understands, we embrace it and seek to live it toward its fullness, who begins to do that for himself and who in embracing that fullness seeks to pass that fullness on to others, even if it's just by means of small details. Mom or dad moving that little hand in the form of the cross. That one occupies the greatest spot in the kingdom. Note how marvelous that is, to embrace what we've been given and to live it and to do that in a way that encourages others to do likewise. That is real greatness, the Lord is saying. It is the height of greatness. And what a marvelous, marvelous word that is. It has a particular value, I believe, here in our church when we listen to these words. The image of the Sacred Heart, we don't know how old that is. It's from a church someplace else that we brought here. The pedestal that it's on is from another church someplace else. No longer need it there given a new meaning, a new location, a new setting here. The crucifix on the wall, the corpus, is about 100 years old from a church in rural Pennsylvania, placed on a new cross that was made here at the shrine just to hold that corpus, and now adorning our wall. The tabernacle, not original to the shrine, but every priest who ever served here at the shrine prayed at some point in front of that tabernacle at our minor seminary in Bayshore. The table that it sits on, stone and wood that we had here on the property for other purposes, repurposed, reused. In, so, in no small measure, in no small measure, these details illustrate the point that Jesus is making. 
All of these things might look different. They're in a different setting, but they're the same things. There's something that is the same about them, something from the past that comes forward with them. But because I am here, they receive a new context, a new setting, a new dignity, a new beauty, including even all of these candle racks, which are old, made new, cleaned up, repurposed, repainted, so that we have the light of so many candles adorning this space. Racks that we've had, but used differently, used elsewhere. In fact, some of these were originally electric. And they've been converted now to hold real candles. But again, note, note, with a new use, a new moment, a new time of grace, something new emerges out of the old. I have not come to throw it away. I haven't come to set it aside. I've come to complete it. What a marvelous, marvelous word that is. Because the Lord doesn't waste a syllable when he speaks to us. Everything has value. Everything has meaning. Everything tends toward eternity. But the fullness of all of that is found in and through Jesus Christ, who is that great word out of which all of the other words proceed and toward which they all point. Amen.